Sorry, I'm going to go on a mini tangent about this. Please. Well, I brought it up. I brought it up. Go for it. Last Jedi is a Pandora's box. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we like to bring on fans, critics, uh, pretty much anyone that has an appreciation for cinema, which, as we all, as we know, pretty much everyone, it's kind of a universal uh, art form at this point. And, and we bring them on to share their thoughts on a film that they love, really kind of democratizing the film criticism uh, you know, conversation and trying to bring in as many fresh voices as possible to uh, kind of balance the the negativity out there and really focus on the subjective nature of cinema. So this week I'm joined by Jackson Smith of Screen Fever and the Home Experience Podcast. Jackson, welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be on. I'm, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. So <laughs> uh, this is a long time coming and, and this is a movie that I'm very, very excited to talk about. So. Well- well, yeah, I mean, after I had the other half of, uh, you know, your podcasting partner, Adam Barnard on a few weeks ago, I mean, he was really trying to, he was really trying to like make sure that we had this conversation. Uh, he actually suggested that, you know, that I reach out to you directly and we had already been Facebook friends a little bit yeah. and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, and then this ended up working out perfectly with the film that you want to discuss. So, um, mm-hmm. why don't you tell listeners a little bit about who you are, what you have going on and, uh, you know what uh, where they can find you and that kind of thing yeah so um yeah my name is jackson smith um uh, uh this last year my friend uh my friend and co-writer adam barnard and i we started a channel on youtube called screen fever uh which is basically just a platform for us to discuss and analyze and talk about movies um we started a podcast called the home experience which is basically aimed at movies available on the home market so what we'll do is each couple of weeks we'll pick a movie that's available to stream on amazon or hulu or netflix um and yeah just give our thoughts on it um yeah um i graduated from chapman university with a degree in film production so i'm also a filmmaker uh i've been shopping my thesis around film festivals for man over a year now (laughs) we're about to uh we're about to end our festival run next month um working on a couple of new projects trying to get off the ground one of which i'm actually writing with adam so yeah so we're 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 filmmakers and film critics we're sort of trying to bridge that gap we love talking about movies but we also like taking the our criticism of movies and putting that into practice and trying to make the movies that we want to see if that makes sense yeah no absolutely and i think you know having you guys on uh has been really really helpful in shaping this show and this this new version of the show in that you do bring that filmmaking perspective uh you're not just you know a lot of the people we've had on have been just fans of movies and just people you know from my own personal life that i'm sort of just trying to still trying to fine-tune this new format and um kind of i guess testing that on them a little bit and you guys Mm. bring in an even more of a uh you know you guys kind of lend a little bit more credibility to the show and kind of help me to give diverse you're welcome and give a little more diversity in voices and that's the whole thing with crooked table i'm trying to do a world of film from a fresh angle and that definitely includes the filmmaking perspective so uh, i appreciate you bringing that uh, to the conversation well thank you yeah i mean everybody i mean my my sort of perspective on filmmaking and film criticism is that everybody's perspective has some sort of validity um like whether you're a filmmaker or a casual film goer or or a critic or whoever you know you're gonna or 
you know what from whatever walk of life you come from you're going to watch movies in a different way not even necessarily in a worse way but just in a different way and i think yeah that that's why i like this podcast so much is because it's like you said it's democratizing that and and bringing all those perspectives in and and sort of validating all of those perspectives and i and i just think that's really cool because yeah like like me being a filmmaker like a lot of critics would say like oh well you can't really criticize and talk about movies because you're a filmmaker and i'm like no i think me you know growing up in the industry and making movies i i would like to think it affords me a somewhat of a valuable perspective <laughs> i would like to think but yeah, yeah but absolutely. That's the, you know that's why we started the channel and why we're doing the podcast so what do you as a filmmaker how do you you know how do you see the i guess you know you're part of the community now but as a filmmaker how mm-hmm. have you historically i kind of viewed the film criticism community do you do you see because i know it's very contentious uh, as you've seen a lot of these kinds of things online between especially now yeah. with social media there's a lot of conversations back and forth between critics and and actual filmmakers and kind of controversy there so uh you know can you speak to that a little bit yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of hostility <laughs> towards film critics in industry circles. It's like, oh, the critics, they don't know what they're talking about. And yeah, I I sort of on the other end of that spectrum. I really love film criticism. I, I think film criticism can be an art form in and of itself, um, like film theory and talking about and breaking down movies like a lot of times people hate critics and they hate criticism because they they think it they're like oh well it sucks all the enjoyment out of watching a movie and i'm like no for me it's the opposite like knowing how movies work and knowing how to talk about movies you know and what makes a movie good only makes me enjoy movies more like i feel like the more i've listened to good critics and the more i've learned about film theory like the more i end up enjoying movies if that makes sense i don't know if that makes me weird but (laughs) it certainly makes me weird within industry circles but that's just that's that's how i feel and that's how that's how i watch movies yeah and i think a lot of times uh film critics can be uh can be judged for kind of i guess i guess not taking a film for for what it's trying to do like i feel like Mm -hmm. um you know, I think someone like Roger Ebert got some flack on and off throughout his career because he was given like high ratings to, I think he gave Blade 2, like three and a half out of four, things like that. And I feel like, speed you know, two. yeah, I, oh my God, speed well, speed I, two. I don't know okay, why I, I know to that, that but I <laughs> I can't speak um, to that one. That, I have Blade to 2 is Guillermo del Toro. That one's actually pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, speed 2 is, yeah, that was a controversial opinion at the time. <laughs> but like something like, you know, uh, Black Panther was one of my favorite movies of the year, but uh, mm-hmm. and that's one of the rare movies to kind of crossover between art and popular, you know, popcorn entertainment. And I think a lot of times critics tend to put it in one camp or another and feel like, well, oh, that was a big blockbuster from a big studio that, that can't really have that much artistic merit to it, can it? That kind of thing. And I think that's part of the part part of the perspective that really kind of perpetuates that divide between things where you see movies like Bohemian Rhapsody making so much money. And then meanwhile, films like the one that we're talking about today, it made very, you know, relatively little at the mm-hmm. box office and, but it's like a critic darling. And, uh, you know, that's another thing that I think is valuable about the film that we're going to talk about that it, it's, you know, we can bring shed a little more uh, of a spotlight on it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny cause I feel like the, the, the consensus within not even film communities, but like the general public is that, oh, the critics never like popular movies. And that's just, I mean, like, as you see with 
you know, Black Panther. I mean, basically anything Marvel's done, but like, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, the <clears throat> last Mission Impossible movie. I mean, these are all movies that got like really incredible reviews from big publications and a lot of attention from big publications in, a, in addition to being huge, popular box office successes like the like the divide, I think, is is a lot smaller than a lot of people make it out to be. I think I think, you know, movies that are enjoyable are enjoyable to movies that are enjoyable to a lot of people include critics a lot of the time you know and and mm -hmm. people also forget how many how many quote-unquote art house so many critic movies don't get good reviews <laughs> like right. it's, it's weirdly the scales are pretty balanced when you actually look at it but um but yeah people like to think oh because the critics didn't like venom and i liked venom therefore the critics have terrible taste <laughs> or had their heads up their asses or whatever and it's like you know you sometimes you've got a discrepancy but i feel like most of the time you know, critics are people too. You know, they they like movies that are fun. They like movies that ring true to them, and um, and yeah, yeah, no, totally. So before we get into you know the film that we're going to talk about and kind of introduce that, I have to I have to ask you because Adam and Adam and I have had this contentious back and forth on the Last Jedi. <laughs> where do you oh where gosh. do you where do you stand on the Last Jedi? Do you do you oh, stand with on his side or is it am I am I alone here? What's the situation? Oh my gosh! I oh, should I say this uh, in public? <laughs> I, I Last Jedi might be my favorite Star Wars movie. Oh, okay, I know good. I would get. I know I would get <laughs> shot for saying that. Um, I, I mean, here's the thing: like, I saw uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald this last year, and mm -hmm. it was a huge awakening for me because after that movie, after I got out of that movie, it was like, oh my gosh that's how everybody felt after last Jedi. Like, Oh, that's what it feels like to watch a franchise that you love go in a direction that you, you just don't agree with at all. Right. Granted that, you know, I, I happen to think that last Jedi is a good movie and crimes of Grindelwald, even not as a Harry Potter fan is a bad movie. Um, but as a Harry Potter fan, I was very angry at that movie because I felt like it betrayed a lot of what the core tenets of, a lot of the core tenets of Harry Potter and like what made Harry Potter great. Um, and that's a lot of what people felt after last Jedi. So, <clears throat> so I really can't blame people when they say like, Oh, you know, they, they ruined Luke Skywalker. They, you know, they, they, they totally messed up this franchise, but, um, personally like that, just personally as Jackson Smith, like that movie was so emblematic of like what, star wars is to me and what i think star wars is and just landed totally on the spot that i think that franchise needed to land on to keep evolving and keep growing moving forward and on top of it i had a ridiculous amount of fun i mean it's just like moment to moment is such a fun star wars movie so many great surprises in it so many great character turns um looks amazing as always i just i love the last jedi <laughs> yeah no i am a total last jedi apologist yeah same here same here i mean uh, you know i think after the force awakens everybody was concerned that there was just going to be like basically rehashes of the original trilogy and the last jedi mm -hmm. went totally the other direction and um it, it felt to me more uh more kind of uh, thoughtful in a lot of ways than a lot yeah. of the other films in the franchise and then it was concerned with uh, you know the um the power dynamic with with poe dameron and like what it means to be a hero and raising a lot of questions that the franchise hasn't really ever 
hasn't really ever challenged before. They just kind of went with the template of a new hope and okay, this is good. This is evil. And let's just yeah. make sure we keep those lines clearly divided. And I, I think the last yeah. Jedi really opened it up and kind of gave the, the series, the, the propulsion it needed to get away from focusing on, Oh, this is this one legacy and this one lineage and, and the Skywalker saga, which is supposedly going to be coming to a close in December with episode nine and yeah. uh, I, I find the I find the whole finale with Luke's spoilers with Luke's sacrifice and um, oh, so good yeah. and uh, wow. the the kid with the broom like that whole thing basically like opening it up that you know anyone can be a Jedi and that kind of mm-hmm. thing uh, so yeah I I really responded to it. and every time I watch it I'm like damn it this movie is so good like I, I feel like I love it more and it's it's either it's like either in my it's probably in my I think right now it's like close between Empire, New Hope, and Last Jedi. Yeah, Last Jedi is it's like always going to be a three-way. It's always going to be the same here. It's always going to be a three-way between those because it's like, you know, yeah, it's like we wouldn't have anything without New Hope. Empire is just Empire. But right. Last Jedi, yeah. I mean, like, and also, you know, I feel like as much as I love Star Wars and I love Star Wars, you know, you kind of have to, like, take a distance with the franchise and say, like, okay, this is a series about space wizards written for children you know, <laughs> right like, like even even the good parts of the prequels are still like very childish and like right. you know it's all sort of based in um you know pop serials from the 40s and flash gordon so it's like it's it, it you're never supposed to take it particularly seriously but like last jedi e- you know even though it was you know moment to moment fun and awesome and cool you know felt like it was had such an intentional focus on character and theme and story that, and, and just great filmmaking that is shockingly rare in a franchise of that is this popular amongst film nerds. <laughs> um, again, though, I love star Wars, but it was, it was really, really, that was just very, very gratifying to me as a filmmaker and somebody who, and a film critic. Um, I just, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Same. And really, curious to see what they do with the next one but yeah so before we got to this this movie i just wanted to i felt like i would be remiss if i didn't bring that up because (laughs) adam and i talked about that a lot so i was like well yeah (laughs) i was just curious okay cool yeah um so this episode we're going to be talking about one of 2018's most critically acclaimed films eighth grade written and directed by bo burnham so let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now hey guys uh it's kayla back with another video so The topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard, and it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. A lot of people like call me quiet or shy or whatever, but I'm not quiet. Most quiet, Kayla Day. I don't talk a lot at school, but if people talk to me and stuff, they'd find out that I'm, like, really funny and cool and talkative. By the way, I like your shirt a lot. It's, like, so cool. What? All right, so that was a little bit of the trailer for 8th Grade from writer-director Bo Burnham. So, Jackson, since you picked the film, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about what it is about and what they can expect, uh, those who aren't familiar with it, of course? Yeah, so I um, I'm gonna get a little vulnerable here. <laughs> um, yeah, so I cry quite a bit during movies. Um, like, and and by cry I mean like I'll shed a tear and I'll I'll wipe it off and I'll say like, oh wow, that was very very good, you know. And like that's my definition of crying during a movie, and, right. and I do that quite a bit. Like basically every Pixar movie, every Miyazaki movie. Um, 
at the end of eighth grade, I was like belly sobbing for like 10 minutes. Um, like this movie broke something open inside of me is kind of the best way I can put it. Um, like I can look at it and say, oh, wow, that was an objectively amazing movie. That was a great piece of filmmaking. But it just it more than I think any other movie last year felt like it was speaking directly to me and saying things directly to me, things that I didn't know needed to be said to me <laughs> um, and re- put me in a very, very vulnerable place. And I just applaud that so much. And I think a lot of that comes back to the filmmaking. A lot of that just comes back to how great of a job Bo Burnham did at capturing this very, very specific um, yet very, very universal aspect of childhood and this very, very specific time at which you sort of gain self-awareness. Um, so it, yeah, it just meant a lot to me because that was just for me a very, very dark and influential time in my life. Um, even though I'm not Kayla, I, I know exactly what she feels throughout the whole movie. Um, so that, that, that's why it rung so true to me personally. Yeah, no, totally. And, um, I mean, I had kind of a similar response to it and, you know, when you mentioned that you wanted to talk about this film, I was actually really excited because I, I had only seen it a few weeks ago because it was one I missed in theaters and I wanted to make sure I caught up with before the end of the year. And it did end up ranking pretty high in my, on uh, my favorite films of 2018 list. And, um, yeah, just uh, it's it's amazing how he brings together something that's such a, a universal. Because I'm pretty sure Bo Burnham has never been a, a 13 year old girl. <laughs> and, <laughs> pretty and he, sure. <laughs> I, I can't you know I can't speak 100 percent to that. Um, but he um, he captures something. He finds the universal truth beneath all of it. That mm-hmm. this experience being that age, and he kind of brings it into the modern era, which I thought was really, you know, really something that impressed me because I'm 35. So when I was 13, we didn't have the internet, let alone mm-hmm. Snapchat, YouTube, and all and all this stuff. Um, but that also, you know, that was a very that was a very pivotal time for me. And for, you know, if I can get personal for a second, uh, (laughs) that was, that was, you know, 13 right before, basically I was really close to, uh, my grandmother and she passed Mm. away 10 days before my 13th birthday. Um, and it was one of those, you know, and I was a very like upbeat kid, like very hyper and, and all that kind of thing. And that experience, and I didn't come to realize until much later, really kind of changed me and kind of, I guess, kind of broke my innocence a little bit in a little way. Mm -hmm. And from that point on was where I really started to get hardcore into movies. Movies were like, were my escape from all of that. So that's when I started to really follow the industry, really got into Oscars. So my obsession with movies is kind of born out of being this age and kind of just looking for a way a way out of myself i guess uh so it had a that that being 13 had kind of a a pivotal was kind of a pivotal shift uh for me personally and i think mm-hmm. this film really captures that kind of transitional phase in that um, I guess we should just say the movie follows Elsie Fisher, uh, who plays Kayla Day, who's in her last week of middle school. And, you know, she has the, with the time capsules, which is, I think, I think was a brilliant device to, to yeah, kind of give boxes. us, yeah. right, which I think was a brilliant device to establish, uh, you know, who she was before she entered this like sort of awkward phase and kind of her, you know, her renewed hope for what the future might bring. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's I think the 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 key connector between, you know, Kayla's eighth grade 
your eighth grade and my eighth grade with me, middle school was when my best friend from elementary school moved away. Um, so like seventh and eighth grade, I, I did not have any close friends at all. Um, and I think that, yeah, that key is loneliness. I think there's an isolation yeah. at that age where you, you are trying to express yourself and trying to communicate with the world around you, but you don't have the tools and the awareness to do that properly. And it just, yeah, you, you spiral into this hole that I think you never really end up escaping from. I mean, I just know personally, I that experience in middle school irrevocably changed me and sounds like your experience irrevocably changed you. And, you know, that's why I think the movie was so powerful for me is because, you know, I look at this character and yeah, I mean, it's a it, it's it's her last week of eighth grade. Like everything that happens in the movie is, you know, she goes to a pool party and goes to a mall and graduates like that's the whole movie. Right. Yet, Plot wise. I yeah. Watched it. I watched it almost like seeing her entire life in front of her and just feeling this, you know, devastation at, you know, what what she could have been you know, if she hadn't sort of spiraled and, and, and the movie does sort of land on an optimistic note saying that she, she has made peace with herself and she has sort of learned to love herself. But, you know, a lot of kids don't come to that realization until much later in life and have a lot of problems as a result of that, mm -hmm. you know, that trauma they experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, like, it's just a very, it's just very true in that sense, you know, like, yeah, I mean, Bo Burnham was never, he was never an, uh, an eighth grade girl, but um, I was listening to a podcast with him, I think it was a Mark Maron podcast, and he was talking about, you know, when he was on tour, because he's a stand up comedian, he, you know, he sort of had this massive panic attack on stage and, you know, sort of had had this career crisis when he was like, I think like my age, I think he was like 23 or something. Um, and he started like going on YouTube and watching all of these these videos kind of like the ones Kayla is making in mm, the movie okay. where it's just it's just a it's just a girl speaking to a camera, giving the advice that she's trying to give herself. And, right. and he was like, even though, even though that wasn't me, I felt like that's exactly what I was trying to do. Um, so yeah, it's like he, he, he isn't an eighth grade girl, but he just seems to really, really understand what, yeah, the way that the, sorry, you, sorry, you, you're cutting in and out a little bit there. That's all. Oh, was. sorry. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're, just good, be... to, you're good to go. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, because your connection, I even said on my Skype at one point, poor network connection. So I'm glad that you're recording on your side because it's it's like yeah, cutting yeah. in and out this is a little what bit. I mean, yeah, this is what, <laughs> yeah, this is the same thing that happens with Adam. I take it. Um, so uh, let me just get back into that. Um, no, you're good. Okay, cool. So yeah, the way that the the film kind of uses technology. I mean, you already mentioned her YouTube videos and the way that it kind of gives us. A, uh, a way to, a way for her to vocalize her psyche and it gives us a way into her head without having to have some like, you know, cliche, like best friend character or something, which would betray the kind of the fundamental isolationism of that mm. period of your life. I thought that was a really smart way to do that because, I mean, that that is a lot of times, you know, we're, we live in, the, in a YouTube culture we live in a everyone wants to be heard and they so they reach out uh they reach out by making youtube videos or by as you see in the film surfing social media and liking things and just like posting pictures mm -hmm. of themselves and i thought it's it's in it's not i mean not everyone it's not everyone does it in this respect but for kayla i think in very much is just a kind of not a cry for help just like a cry to be heard like she doesn't feel like anybody yeah. is paying attention to her and you know uh, which is again something we could all relate to and i think that uh the way that he used 
technology in the film, uh, I think really, really highlighted that beautifully. Totally. This, this film is almost revolutionary in the way it uses technology. Like I'm so, I'm so sick of (laughs) in movies when it's like, Oh, kids are on their phones, you know, like, Oh man, kids can't connect with the world because they're on their phones and technology, rah, black mirror, you know? (laughs) Um, and, but this, this movie, it's thesis, I guess, is that, you know, our relationship and specifically, you know, this generation's relationship with technology is so complex and so multifaceted. Like, you know, yes, Kayla's all always on her phone and she's, you know, not connecting with her dad, but she wouldn't be connecting with her dad even if there were no phone, you know, like that's the, like, it's just a tool for her to do something that she would be naturally doing, even if she didn't have it. Um, and on the plus side, like, yeah, her videos are this strange way of her communicating with herself and her trying to process her own experiences that even though nobody is watching them except for probably her dad, like there's this shot where you see her, see her YouTube page and there's like one view on each video. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was just this powerful realization where I was like, that one view is probably her dad. And that's both sad and beautiful at the same time. Exactly. Um, but she's, but she's, you know, in doing that, she's learning about herself and gaining her voice and growing. Like even like the way she, the way she talks to the camera at the beginning of the movie and the way she talks to the camera at the end of the movie are, are so drastically different. Like she's learned so much like about how to talk about how to talk about herself. You know, it's, it's helping her gain a sense of self-awareness. Um, even as she's, you know, there's this barrier between her and herself that she's constantly trying to break down. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, um, you know, Fisher's performance. And it's funny cause I looked up her IMDb. She's not really done that much. I mean, she's, I think primarily before this was, she was the voice of the little, the small girl in Despicable Me, the first two, the one who's like, oh it's, my so, gosh, the, the, it's so fluffy. The, yeah. Oh, that one. That's her. That's, that's her from like, Oh my gosh. Eight years ago or nine years ago, whenever that movie came out. Wow. And, uh, you know, she, she gives such a, just a, so such a grounded performance. And like, oh, yeah. I, you know, just from all the nuance that you were bringing to it, the way that she slouches. And we watched, uh, you know, my wife and I watched the movie. Uh, I'd seen it before. So I watched it for the second time mm-hmm. the other night and uh, we watched some of the like featurettes and things like that on the Blu-ray. And she's talking about how she brought, how the movie was really the product of a, a true collaboration between Fisher and Burnham and how she would brought, you know, she slouched in her real life. And so she brought things to the character like that, um, you know, yeah. just from her to really sell her, the physical appearance that she's actually is this average 13 year old girl, not like a Hollywood version of, uh, <laughs> of what a teenager is where you'd see in a lot of, you know, most teen movies these days. And, yeah. um, I mean, just the very beginning, it kind of pulls in on her and she's got the acne and everything that everyone has at that age. Um, you know, I, I like thought that was stumbling over her words and everything, yeah. like saying like, 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 I know her word <laughs> that actually bothered yeah. me the first 30 seconds of the movie. I'm like, OK, she's going to do that the whole time. But then I was like, well, that's, <laughs> but that's how teenagers talk. And and you yeah. notice she doesn't talk like that when she's talking to when she's telling her dad to leave her alone at the dinner table or or anything else. You know, her speech patterns change depending on who she's talking to, because that's how real life is. That's how people really talk. My favorite little factoid from this movie is that in in Bo Burnham's original script, he the everybody was chatting over Facebook, like they would chat over Facebook Messenger, mm-hmm. and 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 when she, and when the, the actress when she read the script for the first time, she told him she was like, 
nobody nobody talks over facebook anymore that only old people do (laughs) and and he was and he was baffled because like i mean he he comes from my generation and we always talk over facebook like we don't talk in any other way whereas she was like no 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 no. people my age it's all dms on instagram and on snapchat and you know so so everybody in the movie is communicating via dms on on instagram um which i hate because i hate dms on instagram but but felt so authentic in in ways that other movies about technology don't feel like i i feel like other movies about technology like the technology is always being used in ways that you don't really use it it works in ways that it doesn't actually work whereas like with this whole movie like you know, the way she browses the internet and the mm-hmm. way she talks with people over over Snapchat and over Instagram, it's just not a single moment of it rung false, at least for me. Like, I, you know, knowing people who communicate like that, I was like, wow, that is exactly, exactly how it works to a T, which is both scary and, and really cool at the same time. And a lot of the filmmaking really, really helps you sort of feel feel like you're seeing the world through her pers- from her perspective i mean the fact that like at the pool party which she's getting ready and the camera pulls out and you see like the vast kind of uh you know everyone oh. partying out there and how like alone she feels or or every- that shot yeah <laughs> that, yeah it's great or, or every time aiden walks in and like it slows down <laughs> and, and as watching music. it and, yeah why with the music watching it as an adult i'm like this guy seems like a dick which somebody even tells her that she is he is at one point but you know that's she sees it that's how it feels when you have a crush on someone every time they enter your space like everything kind of freezes and your heart starts beating faster and things like that so i thought uh you know it's really the insight that burnham has into what it's like to be this age i mean to be a girl or to be this age at all i thought was Mm -hmm. really kind of profound from a first-time filmmaker and i think i saw he i think i saw earlier today he got the uh national board of review like best director of a first time feature or whatever like that. And it's completely deserved. I mean, he does incredible work here for someone that's never been really behind a camera before. Yeah. I know he did get a WGA a writer's guild nomination, which I'm, I'm very, very thankful for. Although I'm very curious to read this script because I wonder how much of how much of that was written and how much of that was improvised just because right. Yeah, well, like when you're what, like that opening video with her talking to the camera, like reading that, reading a block of text with like, 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 like written between every single word or writing that must be. But I don't know, maybe maybe he did completely write this whole thing out. And if he did, that's extremely impressive. But yeah, I mean, like it feels just watching it, it feels very much like a synthesis, like a collaboration between somebody between somebody who has a distance from eighth grade and between somebody who's going through it. Um, like it, it's, it's both, it's both critical of Kayla and completely in her wavelength and completely empathetic with her. And and that's, that's what makes a really, really good character study is the ability to step back and, you know, make statements and make an observation about a character who's imperfect and struggling with something while also completely putting you in their shoes and saying, no, 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 this is what it's like. This is what they're going through. This is why they're making the decisions that they're making. Like Aiden's a great example. Like you're right. Like, like you can tell right from the get go that this kid is just, 
horrible i guess <laughs> um and yet you know that the, the combination of the slow motion and the music and the look on her face whenever she sees him you know you just you understand and empathize with that crush so deeply that it actually really it really hurts when you find out just how much of a dick he is like there's that scene where you know she's trying to talk to him and 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 trying to like and the only way she can get his attention is by saying that she's got like dirty photos on mm-hmm. her phone and you just like you just ate it's just like there was just such this pain watching that because I'm like no you deserve so much better than him but I completely understand why you're doing this because you know because this is the biggest conversation you've had with a boy probably ever mm-hmm. and, you know this is a big deal for you um, so that's what really makes this film special is that distance and and intimacy well not only that scene with Aiden I mean the scene in the car with what's his name Riley or whatever oh that gosh, that yeah. was harrowing because I'm watching it the first time oh I'm like gosh. is Kayla about to just get raped or something like right now oh. like what is happening yeah and because you know she she has that she's trying to go along with it to seem cool or whatever especially since she's found a new best friend in Olivia and mm-hmm. um you know he's trying to push it as far as he can and thankfully her her she she at least stands up enough for herself to be like no i don't i don't really feel comfortable doing that even though he then spins it back around and she's apologizing on the way back i'm like jesus gosh (laughs) you know i've seen a lot of horror movies this year but that was probably the scariest scene in a movie i saw all year you know like i like you know there's been a lot of talk and a lot of attention brought to sexual abuse over yeah. the, you know, the last several years, For sure. especially since the Weinstein scandal, you know, like we're, we're now starting to realize just the depth of this problem that we have in society, specifically in Hollywood society. But like that scene really put you in the shoes of somebody experiencing that in a really personal and terrifying way that like, even me, who's, you know, who's known people who've, you know, been abused and, whatnot really didn't like i really didn't i don't feel like i really understood what that feels like until that scene um and and it was just it was terrifying it was just very very scary to watch her go through something like that um you know like you keep wanting her you keep wanting her to like be wanting her to stop or get out of the car or whatever but also you know understanding the dangerous and precarious situation that she's in it's it's just very very harrowing yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that that scene really stood out for me for that reason, just because you know you've heard, I've heard a lot of people kind of say that this film is a horror movie in a way, and and it is. It, it kind of is. I mean, you know, this is in a lot of ways this movie is kind of about me at this age, like you know, being at a big gathering and feeling like you don't belong, and calling your parents to come and pick you up because you you don't know you know how to conduct yourself, or or because you're scared to face the judgment of of your peers and things like that, or uh, you know, it's. it's 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 really I mean in a lot of ways it really hit home and for me now because I have a, we have a little girl who's just turned two last month being the mm-hmm. father of a daughter I really related to the the dad character played by Josh Hamilton as oh, well yeah. so it's like kind of that final moment with the two of them to me kind it's kind of it's kind of like I'm relating to both sides of this argument and so it's kind of um, that much more impactful. That scene, that scene where her dad sort of like, you know, she she basically takes the time capsule and and burns it out back, and, and it's this great line where she's like, where he's like, what was in there? And she's like, my hopes and dreams, and just, you know, I mean, obviously, like we're, you know, I look at that, I'm like, oh, you're just being dramatic, but just like the the 
pain on his face when she says that is just so real. Like, that's when I really realized just how great of a movie this was, that it wasn't just a movie that was speaking to me, but like a genuinely great piece of filmmaking, because like, I can't really empathize with the dad character because I'm I'm not a dad like I've never been in that position I don't have a daughter um and yet I totally know what he's feeling in that scene where you know you 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 know you love this person so much and you you see this light in them and you're just seeing that get slowly extinguished and there's just nothing you can do about it you know it's like even though I personally as Jackson Smith like don't know what that feels like. I felt every single emotion in that moment. And that is a testament to great filmmaking. Yeah. And I think Hamilton's performance in that scene, I mean, I, I, I'm surprised after I watched the movie, I was surprised that I hadn't heard anybody really talking about him in the awards conversation or anything. Cause I think yeah. he, he's really, he's really great and very uh, understated because he has to toe this line between being concerned, showing he cares, but not overstepping his bounds. And like, you know, the whole thing with the knocking on the door at night and just like at the dinner table, like all of that stuff. Um, I, I think it's, it's a very, you know, if you tip it one way, it becomes a cliche, but then if you play it too much in the other direction, it, mm. it, you know, he might seem like a shitty parent, but watching it as exactly. an, you know, watching it as an adult now, especially now being a parent myself, it's like you can, he really finds the way to, uh, to go, kind of give us uh, a hint behind the dad's true intentions without really sacrificing the fact that this is Kayla's story and we're telling it from her perspective. Totally. Yeah, it's it it is frustrating to to be watching this awards season and not see him or Fisher really get get the attention right. that they deserve, you know. And and I and I think a lot of that's because you know, because they're both actors who who have done things. I mean, they've both been in things and been in popular things before. Um, but they're not like actors in the way that like Timothy Chalamet or Christian Bale are actors. So it's like you see those people end up filling up the categories and these award shows whereas these really really incredible performances from actors you might not recognize or know the names of are just operating on a whole nother level of quality i mean yeah like that that scene between them there's just so much going on and you know so much going on beneath the surface of what they're saying that is just really 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 impressive yeah absolutely um, and you know, just the, also the production design in the film, because I went, I made a lot of notes about that. Like just the, the little details, like the the uh, the assembly, where like the mic feedback and the and at the assembly, <laughs> or like the sex ed videos. Like there's a lot. This like it feels oh, wow, it yeah. feels like everybody's high school, you know, or middle school, I guess, yeah. at this point. And uh, I, I mean, I think a, a lot of those details really help to bring you into the world. It's something that I, you know, my just a personal thing. My dad's a production designer, so I I, I grew up sort of always paying attention to that aspect of movies. Um, a lot of the movies I was shown when I was a kid were sort of big production design movies. I knew what Brazil was before like anybody knew what Brazil was. <laughs> uh, my age, at least, like, um, so so it's always something I notice, and and even when it's really subtle, it it contributes so perfectly to the story. Like that pool party, just as an example, is you know every single detail about it is so true to what pool parties like that are actually like um yet feels heightened in a way that is that gets the point across and gets you into kayla's perspective like like going back to that one shot where she's sort of 
standing inside watching watching the pool party play out and she doesn't want to go outside like there's it's this combination of this music which sounds like circus music and then and then like everybody's like doing handstands and like throwing this beach ball around and like doing like there's this kid doing that weird thing with his eyes that like oh yeah there's that kid at every pool party and it's like you feel like you're in a circus like you feel like you're in this freak show but you're not in a freak show you're just in a your average everyday pool party um and that's and that's great design it's great directing it's just a it's great world building in a way like there's a lot of world building in this movie even though it's what they're building is a world that actually exists right and i mean Fisher says so much with so few words in the film. And then it's really like you were saying with the, 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 the details of what's happening in the pool party. To me, it really feels it's just like it's all the nuances of real life that you don't think about when you watch movies because they're never, they're never there that you never see, mm-hmm. you know, captured. And, and it's a little frustrating, I think for as being a, being a fan of that kind of mil, uh, that kind of film, seeing the, all the hype and, and attention that, that, you know, movies like Green Book or, uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody or even Star is Born, yeah. which I like fine, but I don't like, I don't love as much as so many other people just because those the first 45 minutes are better than. Oh, man. Movie, OK, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second. So <laughs> the, the beginning scene, like with her in the hallway and then in the, and then um, or in the alleyway and then yeah. him going to the drag show and their meeting, their conversations outside on the uh, outside of front of the, the convenience store or whatever. All of that was like part perfect and i was started i you know i was totally with it all the way up through through really through shallow through that moment which yeah. was so epic in the trailer you're getting chills watching the trailer like holy shit this is this could be amazing and then after that i feel like the whole film really deflated and kind of went off all, in all kinds of different directions that it were less interesting to me yeah, yeah basically <laughs> it's like they yeah. had something I mean, really like, going there I think I think that's a, a weirdly a good example to talk about in relation to what makes this movie good because like like the parts that worked about A Star Is Born for me were the parts that felt so authentic. Like I love that. Like my favorite scene in the movie is like when when they go to the grocery store so he can get the frozen peas to like, yeah. her swelling hand. Um, just because it just it felt so real. And, and, but then those moments were sort of punctuated by things like like my least favorite scene in the movie is is really the first scene in the movie. It's like he, he, he gets like, he gets into his, his limo and he like, he pulls out a flask or he like pulls out like actual, like an actual bottle of alcohol. And it felt like the movie was like screaming at the top of its lungs at me, the audience. He's an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, in case you like, couldn't it tell. Was, it was not. Yeah. Yeah. In case you couldn't tell, it was like, it was not <laughs> subtle. It didn't feel real necessarily. It, it was driving a point home without, without subtlety or nuance. And by contrast, like this movie you know, again, like it's much less epic in scope. It doesn't have Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga in it, but there is not a moment in this movie that rings false. Like every little bit is just so it feels so true and so true to the characters. Yeah. And the middle school as, you know, as the setting is so perfect because that is, as she says at one point, she even says that, oh, middle school is, you know, in the middle because it's emblematic of <laughs> this, this, of this time in your life yeah. where you don't, you know, you don't really belong anywhere. And I, on one of the featurettes, Fisher says, you know, like we're not kids, we're not adults. And a lot of times she sees movies where teenagers are talking like adults or, Mm-hmm. or or they're being or they're portrayed as just kids. Yeah. yeah yeah and there's no there's there it's kind of its own subset that really the, 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 i mean i can't really even think off the top of my head i can't really think of a film that 
that conveys what it's like to be that age, uh, really at all, let alone as well as this one. It's because it's, I think the reason for that is because there, it, it is such a complex part of somebody's life. Like when you're in elementary school, you are a kid. And when you're in high school, you are a teenager. And both of those things bring with it, you know, certain ways of speech and certain behaviors that, you know, apply to pretty much everyone. Like it's so easy to make, it is weirdly easy to make a movie about high school because it's like high school sucks. Everybody sucks. The end. Like, as long as you've sort of accepted that premise, you can sort of get away with anything and have it have some level of authenticity. Whereas, like, middle school is just inherently filled with so much complexity. Like, yeah, you are an adult and not an adult. You know, you have self-awareness and yet you don't have any self-awareness. Like, you're cool and yet you're not cool at all. You know, and that's what makes it... It's what makes it painful. It's what makes it important for people. And it's what makes it really, really hard to get right in movies. And the reason I think so many movies just don't tackle it at all. Yeah, and in this film, I think, it nicely um, kind of does the before and after a little bit because you do see as we mentioned we get kind of a little glimpse into i guess what was it like a 10 11 year old kayla we get a little bit of that like in the audio when she gets the time capsule and all that and then through through olivia we kind of get a glimpse into the future where she's telling kayla like oh you know middle school was the worst you know you'll i think you're cool and you'll get through it and all Mm -hmm. that kind of trying to mentor her i'm watching the movie being like man i really wish i knew somebody like olivia when i was this age (laughs) because that would have been extremely helpful um of course you know being that age you don't really you're kind of tuned out to to any to most other voices i mean like as you saw in the movie her dad knows her better than anybody and she's just not interested in anything he has to say because you're so lost in your own thoughts and everything and speaking to your comparison of how it's just so much easier to make films about high school i mean this film almost kind of flirts with a little bit of like an american pie moment with the banana and then totally, yeah. <laughs> you know, rain, rain, you know, dials it back so it feels realistic, not like over the top and ridiculous like that film goes with a, with it. But yeah, um, yeah I just thought that was kind of a, a funny moment that that occurred there that uh, was worth mentioning. Wow, I totally did not make the American Pie connection, but that's exactly what that it, it's it's that scene, but like actually, like it's that right. scene, but like and from real. a female perspective um, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I want to. I want. I do want to talk about Olivia for a second because she she was actually one of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, like, talk about a character who there's a lot of nuance to. Like when you when you meet Olivia, because Olivia is this high schooler who's part of this high school mentor program who sort of takes Kayla under her wing. But there's like this there's this little section of movie where you're 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 not quite sure whether she's like actually friends with Kayla or she just feels sorry for Kayla. And and it felt that really felt true to me as somebody who, you know, had a lot of older mentors in middle school. You know, like I mm-hmm. I was in um I was in youth group in middle school, so I had, like, all these youth pastors who I was, quote-unquote, friends with, and they were, like, friends with me and, you know, had this, we sort of had this friend relationship, but it was also not that at all, because it was very obviously somebody taking pity on me and somebody, (laughs) um, somebody, you know, trying to, trying to get me involved with myself. Um, and, and, and Olivia just like that character was written in such a way to where she represented that so perfectly. Um, like another one of my favorite moments in the film, which just flies by and you really 
don't notice that if if you're not paying attention but it's when you know they're driving back from the mall and she says let she says to the guy i think riley's his name Mm -hmm. she's like oh let's go drop her off first and he's like why your house is right here and it's and it's in that moment that i realize oh no she knows exactly what's going to happen like she knows exactly what's going to happen when when Riley gets Kayla alone in the car with him and she does not trust him. And that's why she's like, no, 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 we're going to drive Kayla home first. And yet when Kayla says like, oh, I'm fine, it'll be totally cool. Like she believes her. She believes that she's going to be able to defend herself and that she's going to be okay. So, you know, you, you have this character who's, you know, who who trusts Kayla, but doesn't trust Kayla, who's friends with Kayla, but not quite for, quite friends with Kayla. And it's just, yeah, it really speaks to that complexity. And it's easy to see how, you know, she would be, Kayla would be calling, because she, she calls her, I think, the same day that she gets her number. Or she like does, the next year, yeah. right? <laughs> so she's, Kayla's, you know, obviously feeling uh, uncomfortable about calling Olivia. And it's easy to see in another movie, Olivia, like on the other line, just kind of rolling her eyes, like, oh man, this kid's like yeah. calling me up. Or, yeah. And I, th- I don't think it really, she, you know, but when they, when she shows up at the mall and they hug and it seems like she plays it completely genuine. And I, I think does, it's, yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, I mean like everybody kind of wishes they had an Olivia, like somebody who <laughs> somebody who did like was willing to you know be friends with you and and suffer through your awkwardness and and still love you no matter what. Um but but somebody who is still a high schooler and who is still you know has this growing up to do themselves. Exactly. Um and that's why she really needs her dad, you know. I think I think the lesson that Kayla really learns at the end of the movie is that she has this this resource there she has a friend really in her in her dad who she she really didn't know was there the whole time um you know and i think you know that it was another part of the movie that hurt for me uh personally because like i i think my parents were also trying to communicate me with me and connect with me during that time and i was also sort of not listening like i wanted i wanted friends but i didn't want my parent as a friend what what the movie sort of is saying is that no your parent is your best friend your parent is always your best friend or at least supposed to be yeah no and then yeah i 100 I agree and I, you know, being that age, I had a similar kind of experience where my, my parents were like, you know, if you need help, if you need anything, if you're whatever. And I was like, eh, okay, of course you're going to say that you're my parents. I just, <laughs> I need to figure this out on myself or, you know, whatever. And you, cause you feel like it's, you feel like it's you against the world when you're that age and, yeah. and watching it now as an adult who ha- who is a parent, especially it's you, you see just how, how, the, the things that are when you're 13 or any kind of any anywhere in your teenagers, really, how when you're that age, the things that are so important, you know, she gets the call from Olivia to hang out at the mall. And it's like, oh, my God, the, like the, the you know, it's, <laughs> the world opens up to her. It's just like most the biggest, most important thing that's ever happened. And I thought she was going to start crying when, <laughs> when that happened. Like there's that shot afterwards where she hangs out with Olivia and you just like. It's just like finding water in a desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but when you're that age, everything feels that monumental. It's not until you get older and you're like, oh, okay, that was whatever. Like, you know, you realize you think you have one shot mm-hmm. at life to figure things out and you feel like it is this moment. This is her only time to possibly get a boyfriend or to make friends <laughs> or things like that. And then ultimately, you know, I, I like the way that that's that kind of that dynamic ends with uh when gabe comes into the picture where she's like you know what this guy seems nice he's trying to reach out to me uh he you know and they have a hanging out with with uh, chicken nuggets and stuff and i think there's <laughs> there's a moment in the featurette 
that I keep referencing with where Burnham is saying about how that's kind of what he's trying to communicate with that scene is that when you're that age, everything feels like it's the end of the world, but ultimately, you know, you're 13, relax, calm the fuck down, enjoy yourself have and have some chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. 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 Basically yeah. you're still a kid. Like don't rush things. I mean, you know, especially in the course of the film where Kayla is like, been asked if she if she gives uh, blowjobs and like being is propositioned by a high schooler things like that. It's like you know you 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 don't have to worry about all of that stuff now if you don't yeah. want to. Just calm down and relax. Be a kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do have a confession to make. I I was Gabe literally like like that <laughs> like I you know wearing goggles to the pool party you know serving chicken nuggets to your play date like that that it was that was probably the most uncomfortable part of the movie for me because like I was that awkward right. kid you know I like my one one of my favorite moments is when he like he leaves the his archery certificate out I love that table for I love that yeah, yeah and then he's like oh this is nothing like, how this oh get my here gosh, that was just totally so. Yeah, was just totally something you know 13 year old jackson would do but (laughs) but you know like like that's what makes him that's what makes gabe so cool in the movie is because he is just a kid like he is exactly what a 13 year old boy should be and that's why i think why they're able to connect in such a pure way is because they're not trying to they're not trying to be high schoolers you know they're like no this is where we're at in our lives right now I do archery camp. That's cool. You know, we watch Rick and Morty. That's cool. You know, and it's just, it was just, oh, it was such a, that, that scene, that playdate scene was such a breath of fresh air. Cause you're like, oh, that's exactly, that's exactly what, what it's like and what it should be like, you know? Agreed. And, and the movie kind of addresses, like, I think the fact that, you know, we talked about technology a lot and how it plays such a pivotal role for teenagers now. And it kind of, I, think mentions during the mall scene they're talking about how how you know the, t- the high schoolers olivia's friends are saying about how kayla's is almost like another generation because they got yeah. snapchat or you know different points in their life and things like that and it is kind of i think uh, a testament to the fact that kids are growing up much faster because of what they have you know the technology and the information that they have available available to them you know they can go online and literally learn about anything whereas when you're a t- when you're a kid you know prior to the internet you um you know you had you know life more doled out and it's you know things happened in their own time as opposed to mm-hmm. all at once here's everything about the world if you, if you want to know it at the age of 13 you know I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was a, another thing that stood out to me about the movie was, you know, a how like we've been saying how similar how similar the movie was to our experiences in eighth grade from different generations, but also how different it was. Like mm-hmm. I like there is one one of the the most striking scenes in the movie for me is when they have a school shooting drill. Yep. I didn't have that. Like I didn't, we did. I, uh, you know, when I was in middle school and I was in middle school relatively recently <laughs> compared um, to the grand scheme of things, but we didn't, we never had school shooting drills. Like that is probably totally a thing that's come about in the last 10 years. And it's, it's very scary. Like that, that was very scary. And, and yeah, the fact that the fact that they're communicating with each other over Snapchat and talking about sending each other dirty photos like like again like that's not something that's not something i or anybody in my middle school experience had had to deal with at all um but at the same time like the 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 element of wanting to grow up and wanting to you know pretend like you're older than you actually are and sort of dabbling in in sex and drugs and whatever like that is something that you know was part of my middle school experience even without the snapchat or the 
you know, whatever like that, that I think is just a, is a universal truth about that age is that you're, you're always wanting to, you know, like, oh yeah, I give great blowjobs. Or it's like, you don't even, you don't even know what a blowjob is. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And uh, yeah, I love the, the follow-up moment where she's Googling how to give a blowjob. I mean, she's like, goes back, how to give a good blowjob <laughs> to yeah. be specific. Well, another, yeah, another thing, like, you know, you, like, for instance, if, if me in, in eighth grade, I wanted to look something like that up, like, we had one computer that the whole family shared. Yeah. I couldn't look that up. Everybody would see it. But the fact that she's got her own laptop, her own phone, like, she can be looking these things up and getting this information without anybody but her knowing um that's a little scary i mean like i mean if i were a parent i would I parental would locks or something yeah i don't know um yeah it's and it's it's ironic in a way that like the story that the film tells is pretty timeless but in the trappings that we're talking about you know who knows where we're going to be te- technologically in that decade snapchat may not even exist and like you know it talks about youtube yeah. and and even the school shooting drills that you were mentioning like that it's very much now that's an issue that this country is facing now at this moment not you know when mm-hmm. i was in middle school or when you were in middle school so uh, it, it feels like in a way the, while the story will keep the film relevant and, and probably help it endure, in a way, kind of the the surface level of Kayla's story feels very much like a time capsule in and of itself. It is a time capsule in and of itself. Yeah, no, it's it's it is kind of like the 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 shoebox at the center of the film where you're, <laughs> you know, there's so much truth in it, and there's so much truth about you know what it was like being in middle school in 2018, and yet, yeah, people will look at it probably 10 years from now, maybe even five years from now, man, like, and say like, wow, that's what it was like at that time. And yeah, that's what it was like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you look back a few years ago, we had a MySpace joke at like the beginning of an Iron Man movie. And now it's like, what's MySpace? What's that? Like kids today probably don't even know what that is <laughs> anymore. Um, it's, it's just, it's, that was moving. my time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I got to middle school, I remember when I was in middle school that even then it was like, that was kind of, MySpace was kind of like the Facebook messenger of this movie where it was like, oh, only old people use MySpace. <laughs> And now it's like, yeah, kids these days probably don't even know what MySpace is. It's, exactly. Things are moving very fast. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and then I, I wanted to say, I like the the technique in the film where there's like, there's no sound over the, after the, um, after the car ride back with Riley and that whole thing where she feels kind oh, of yeah. dejected and, you know, actually kind of self-defeating. Like she's, she's beating herself up about having been the subject of, basically an alleged sexual assault uh yeah and uh and she's making the video of uh you know taking a break from making videos basically it's like we hear her audio over the images of her just kind of sitting around and like it's it's there's sort of a separation of uh of what she's saying and what she's doing and it's not um we're not in that moment with her where she's making the video because she feels like it kind of pulled back and pulled out of herself i guess even more so what did you think that 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 yeah, no, the, moment the, was supposed to kind of uh, signify the yeah no the 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 technical aspects of the filmmaking in this movie are, are very subtle yet very profound like even even going back to that first shot in the movie which is literally just a you know, you, you start on a very, very grainy close up of her, her webcam footage and you're pulling back and it's and it's it's almost like this symbolic, like pulling back and, and gaining this perspective on her life. And there's all of these different like another 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 one of those 
sort of mixes of you know audio and sound and visuals that really spoke well to the theme in this movie was how it how it visualizes her surfing the internet like it does this really really cool thing where you'll you, you know you'll start looking at a at a shot of her on her phone and then it'll sort of bleed into a shot of the screen but only so much that you're that you're still getting like her eyes over the screen and mm-hmm. it's just this very like if you just pull a screenshot out of out of any one of those sequences it's just even that is just such a beautiful representation of what surfing the internet is like you know i mean every movie that deals with technologies has this hurdle to overcome where you're like okay well how do we how do we actually show people surfing the internet or on their phones or texting or whatever because it's a very uncinematic thing and mm-hmm. and and part of what bo burnham did as a director that was so clever was turning something that inherently uncinematic into into something cerebral and surreal and wonderful you know like even playing sail away over that whole sequence <laughs> was just really really it was funny but it's like that's how that's how it feels you know that's how it's like yeah, have you seen Searching? By the way, speaking of the whole, I have digital not di- seen Searching. I know I really want to. I've but I've I've heard that movie uses it in a in a, in a really clever way. Yeah, well. I feel like we're gonna. I feel like we're on the verge of seeing a lot more films trying to capture you know the role that technology plays in our lives, and and Searching does it in in a very obviously it's very specific way. I think they're calling it. Mm. They, I think the filmmakers are calling it Screen Life. Where basically, you know, for people listening that don't know, basically the whole film is told from the perspective perspective of uh, John Cho's character's screen as he's like, you know, windows opening up for video chats and doing Google searches and like uh, Gmail and all that stuff. And so I, that, you know, uh, I think we're, I think we're kind of on maybe the beginning of like a little bit of a renaissance as far as films that use technology and depict it on screen in, a, in like new and interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, yeah, it's a matter of thinking outside of the box. Like, I don't know if necessarily we'll see more movies like searching that do that, that have that gimmick of like, Oh, the whole movie's just set on the screen. But I think what we're going to see is a lot more movies that, you know, use it, you know, and represent it in, in thrilling cinematic ways. Um, you know, another example, which is a weird example, but like Sherlock, I know, like, you know, like, there's so much texting in that show and I always love like the ways that they'll sort of like put the texting up on screen without like actually just showing a shot of a phone. You know, it's, it's, you know, when you're, when you encounter a new element, whether it be technology or whatever, as a filmmaker, you have to find a way not only to make it interesting and fun, but also sort of integrate it thematically with the plot. You know, like Kayla is, Kayla is tied to her phone and her phone and her technology is her way of seeing herself so that you have all these shots in the movie where it's just the phone and her eyes it's it just like i said it speaks to that theme very very well yeah absolutely um there's a couple other things i wanted to mention before we start sort of getting into the final thoughts and things like that um i did uh i they never really address a hundred percent what happened with Kayla's mom, which I thought was again very realistic. Yeah, like you're not gonna, like you're not gonna say, oh, you know, when your mom died seven years ago from that car accident. It's like it's not a, it's not a soap <laughs> opera. They kind of leave it open to interpretation. Where she's like, yeah, I think the only mention we get is the dad says something like, oh, you know, after your mom left, whatever mm-hmm. that meant. Yeah, um, I thought that was that was a, a uh, kind of a, a smart way of handling that. And then I love the misdirect at the end where. 
uh, you see Aiden walking down the hallway and oh, Kayla follows that. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla follows him and then you're like, oh man, is she going to be like, here's some dirty photos for you? Or, or like, how is this going to play out? And it ultimately ends up being with the confrontation of uh, Kennedy basically uh, ignoring her thank you note and kind of dismissing her. And I love that it's just a small little thing in the movie that her friend Stephanie, when they when she goes over and gives her that, her, that uh, gives uh, Kennedy that note. Yeah. And, she's like, <laughs> and Kayla's like, hey, Steph. And she's like, what he just looks up like really confused like it makes me laugh that's just like that was a great way of depicting kind of the how out of how out of touch with reality a lot of times we can be and i you know i'm i'm in my 30s and i can get easily just as easily get lost in my phone where my wife will say something like i'm sorry honey what was that i was i was so i was reading some tweet or whatever um so i thought that was just a really great way to uh to kind of get that across is there anything specifically that we haven't brought up yet that you wanted to make sure we mentioned I'm I'm really happy you mentioned the, the that that scene at the end where she sort of confronts Kennedy because like yeah I mean Kennedy is so mean and passive to her in a way that like is very simple but also like you get like like yeah I mean Kayla is you know a little awkward in discovering herself you know so maybe she's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow but like Kennedy has no right to just be that mean to her and the the fact that she and just how she stands up to her at the end of the movie and the fact that she did was just such a such a gratifying thing for me as a moviegoer like mm-hmm. I almost just like stood up and clapped when after she gives that monologue just because you know I mean it's just it took guts you know it takes guts to you know confront somebody but but she she really needed to and I think that was something that Kennedy really needed to hear and I can only hope going forward that that's something that'll mean something to her later on you know wow i wasn't nice to that girl and you know wow i should have should have gotten off my phone and connected with her should have you know should have invited her to my pool party should have given that card game a chance that she gave me for my birthday (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah that that, i i another another weird small thing but there's that shot when you're you know kennedy's opening all of her birthday presents and and you have this wide shot of the table and just like in the in the bottom like left hand corner there's just this person sleeping and it's just like if you're not really paying attention you know you won't pick up on it or you won't notice it but there's so much going on in every frame of the movie and and that that's what you know like that's what sets really really great movies apart from just good ones is the director thinking about every little aspect of the frame and like oh what's going on in the foreground what's going on in the background how is the world existing outside of of what we're just seeing or what we're just hearing like there's also that scene in that there's also that sound bit in that scene where you hear the dad bringing the cake out mm-hmm. and the mom's like yelling at him like, no, no no not yet he's like i woke up at like three in the goddamn morning to get this cake and then it just cuts away from it like you, you never you never hear anything about that ever again it never becomes important but it just makes the world feel so authentic yeah and and even makes you probably understand and sympathize with kennedy a little bit because like her family life isn't Man, her family life's probably not as good as Kayla's is. Like, right. Kayla's probably got a much healthier household than than Kennedy has, and that you know that speaks to their characters and speaks to you know how they interact with each other and how they interact with themselves. Yeah, no, I I, lo- I love the way that she she confronts her, and it, and it gives you it gives us enough of a, an understanding of what that means for Kayla because we you know we've been living in this space with her but then she immediately mm-hmm. walks away so we don't even know what Kennedy's reaction was and ultimately the movie is basically saying it doesn't matter what Kennedy it doesn't matter what Kennedy yeah, thinks Kayla stood up for herself spoke up and asserted herself and like she says in the movie confidence is a choice and she chose to walk over to her and to speak up and uh you know kind of put her foot down i guess with that um, so yeah, that's yeah. definitely one of my favorite moments in the movie. 
You the get a little. Is Kayla take? It's all, it's all about her taking her own advice, you know? Like yeah. She, she ends up taking all the advice that she gives to everybody in her videos. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 um, you know, we get that catharsis at the end, but, and it's a hopeful note, but it's not exactly saying all her problems are solved because that again would betray mm-hmm. the, the tone and the kind of the aesthetic of this film. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, it gives, she has kind of a renewed sense of, like she says in the movie, just because things are happening to you now doesn't mean that they're always going to happen to you that way. It's like you change is good. Yeah. She said, she mentions basically you could take everything she says, like you said, basically say everything she says in her videos and directly apply it to her story. Um, and, and, you know, of course that happens in the end, which she kind of puts the, the button on, on this period of her life. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that last line of the movie where she says, can't wait to be you. Like, it's great. <laughs> oh, that just, you know, that was just really, you know, that was something I wish I had said to myself at that age. Um, and just, a, yeah, a really, really hopeful way to end the movie without saying, without saying explicitly like, oh, this is a happy ending. It's a, it's a hopeful ending. You right. Know? Exactly. It's a cathartic ending. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's perfect for the perfect way to wrap the film up. So um, going into final thoughts, um, I would add, normally I'd ask like, does this film hold up? Because you know this podcast could cover films from whatever, but this literally just came out last year. So what would you yeah, say? I mean, we'll see how it holds up. I, yeah. I hope. I hope I'm doing what yeah. I told you. I showed my wife. I let a friend borrow my Blu-ray of it, and uh, I'm, I'm getting doing what I can to uh, to spread the word about this great film, mm-hmm. and hopefully more people you know can only gain an esteem down the line. And I, you know, I'm I was vaguely familiar with Bo Burnham before this. Um, I'm not. I'm not really up on stand up like I should be these days. But, um, you know, I'm definitely curious to see not only what he does next, but also as a film director, but also like a, I'm kind of planning on going back and, and listening to his stand up and seeing if I can his pick up on, yeah. on some of what he's done there and how maybe that fed into his work in this film. Totally. Yeah. I mean, he was, a he was, I think, a I actually don't really know as much about Bo Burnham as I should. I mean, I've seen some of his stand up and some of his music, but he, he started out as a, as a YouTuber and he gained popularity on YouTube. So, so it, it makes sense that he would do a movie that's kind of about YouTubing and about putting yourself out there online since that's how he got famous. So the movie is almost mm-hmm. like him processing his own, his own relate. It feels like it's him processing his own relationship to technology and to the internet and to fame and all of these things that he, that have been very key to his success as a filmmaker. So, um, yeah, I would definitely I definitely would I I want to go back and watch his stand-up specials. I wanted to do it before this podcast so I could talk about it <laughs> a little bit, but um but I didn't have time, so I'm I'm definitely going to go back and watch it now. So Jackson, what would you say to people uh, to recommend this film to them? Like why should they watch this? I mean, I like I said I think A, it's a great portrait of the here and now it's a great portrait of you know what growing up now is like just as in kind of an ethnographical sense and just kind of like like, like this is what it's like you should be aware of what's going on but at mm-hmm. the same time it's 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 one of those movies where i feel like everybody could watch it and take away just at one point in the movie be able to say oh i know how that feels um even if you're not a thir- have never been a 13 year old go- girl or never even been to middle school um like adam didn't go to middle school i'm trying to get him to watch this movie because like i'm like no 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 you trust me you will empathize with it even if you haven't even if you haven't 
been to a pool party or if you haven't done such and such, you know, you're still going to be able to pull some aspect of this movie. There's still going to, I think, be an aspect of this movie that speaks to you. So that's kind of that. That's kind of why I've recommended it to so many people is like, you know, like, trust me, you're trust me. I think you're going to like this. And if you even if you don't like it, I think it's going to mean something and speak to speak to you in a really meaningful way. Like there's a reason this is one of the best reviewed movies of the year. Like I think most everybody who saw it was able to say like, wow, that that was true and pure and meant something to me as a movie goer. Yeah, no, it's the emotions behind it. I think that really resonate, you know, whether then you separate the fact that it's a, a teenager or it's a girl or it's a middle school or whatever, it's that feeling of not feeling like you belong and trying to find your way. It's basically like self-discovery is essentially what it's about. And and everybody yeah, can relate yeah. to that regardless of whether or not they had the same experiences that Kayla had. And uh, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with everything you said. And I, I, I kind of was while I was watching it the second time I kind of was the fact that the film captures this this period so well and kind of takes you through it and offers a light at the end of the tunnel at the end of the tunnel it to me really felt like it's something that should be required viewing kind of for you know when you're yeah. when you have if you're a parent of a kid and they're like 12 13 show them this movie because maybe yeah maybe they'll shrug it off and be like oh this is boring i want to want to go on on surf the internet or whatever but maybe (laughs) it'll help give them a little more perspective onto what this chap that this is a chapter in their life and that there are Mm -hmm. you know that they they aren't done becoming who they're going to be and i think that's uh i think that's an important message and ironically the film is r rated r so it's not something that schools can show to kids and you know the teachers can't show this to their students or anything because of that but uh i think they i think they should be able to because it's you know without that kind of raw texture to it it would feel inauthentic and again it would feel hollywoodized totally that was i remember controversial actually when the movie got rated r because i know bo burnham and everybody at a24 was really upset because they were like well now everybody who the movie's about is not going to be able to see the movie yeah i mean i have so many problems with the ratings association which is a whole nother podcast in <laughs> of itself but but that was yeah it was definitely frustrating because i i i think like you said that message of making peace with yourself and and loving yourself at that age and and loving your voice even when it's not fully refined is just so 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 important and that that gets and that we spiral into those holes of loneliness and depression and self-hatred at that age i firmly believe causes a lot of problems later in life so i do really 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 think the people that this movie's about should also be seeing it and should be allowed to see it. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, except for some sexual references here and there, I mean, there's not, there's not even really, honestly, there's not even really that much language if that's their big beef with it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, they say blowjob, like, like, <laughs> like, come on guys. <laughs> exactly. So I think that pretty much wraps up the conversation on eighth grade. Uh, Jackson, where can people find you online on social media? Which is funny that we're mentioning this whole podcast, how much, uh, how important that is to the movie. But like, well, where can people that are 13 years old and wanting to to follow our work and uh, find us online? I'm on Twitter at Jackson C Smith 95. Um, I'm on Instagram as Jackson S underscore 95. Um, You know, if you're listening to this and if you like, 
podcasts and sort of film criticism, really where you should check me out is YouTube. Uh, like Robert said, Adam and I, we have our Screen Fever YouTube channel. Just type in Screen Fever. Uh, there you can find our Home Experience podcast. We've done a lot of discussions on different types of movies and TV that we really like. I'm starting to get into video essays, which has been a whole lot of fun, um, sort of emulating the Lindsay Ellis, Bob Chipman model, um, just taught, just editing fun videos about, you know, movies and TV shows that I really like. I've got another one of those coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, be, be sure to check me out. Uh, check me out on there. Screen Fever on YouTube. Yeah, I've seen some of the work you guys are doing over there and it's it's really it's really great. The video essays are, are amazing. So keep that coming. Thank you. <laughs> if you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,